With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome into another edition of the Maze and Brew podcast here on the SB Nation Network. I'm your host, Anthony Broom, and we are joining you here on Monday, August 17th into Tuesday, August 18th. Uh, well, these shows have all taken kind of a similar tone recently uh, as we continue to discuss the fallout of the Big Ten and Pac-12's decision to cancel the football season and fall sports in general. We're about a week removed now from uh, the news that we thought might be coming, but still kind of hit r- hard regardless. Uh, everyone's kind of frustrated. Big Ten parents are frustrated. Players are frustrated. I know media is frustrated. And everyone has kind of been vocal about the lack of transparency in uh, in the entire decision-making process. So joining us today, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Nicole Auerbach, who covers college football nationally for The Athletic. You've seen her work on Big Ten Network and a ton of other broadcasts lately. She's been all over the place discussing what's been going on. Also an alumna of the Michigan Daily, so very much part of our sphere and part of the family, so to speak. So, uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be on. So the first question is this. Uh, Do you have a clone or a twin somewhere? Because we've (laughs) seen you literally everywhere. I just haven't slept much, which, um, you know, as as my friends and family would say, I don't sleep well anyway. So, um, you know, maybe I was just training my whole life for, uh, you know, to be working at all hours. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone's really slept in five months or so, so it's totally understandable. Uh, So a lot of people, including myself at times, have kind of shaken their fists at the sky at the NCAA for sitting on their hands and leaving conferences out to dry in all of what's going on right now. But I think a lot of people might not realize that uh, the NCAA doesn't actually have as big a role in college football as the average person might expect. So could you explain to people listening to the show, like what their role actually is in all of this? 
Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting because I think a lot of this is is clouded by our experience back in March, right? Where, you know, the NCAA was the one to cancel March Madness. Um, but that's because it controls that tournament. That's the big cash cow. And that's the big postseason event that they run. And they run postseason tournaments for all these other sports, of course, too. Um, you know, volleyball and, and cross country and all of these other sports. But they don't do that for FBS football. So that's the group of five and the power five. Um, that They're controlled by the college football playoff and the bowl system and, you know, BCS before that but always the bowl system and always out of the ncaa purview obviously they handle you know eligibility recruiting um if you break the rules like those types of things but because they don't control the postseason they can't just wave a magic wand and be like okay we're not having football um they they control FCS football and that's not happening this fall because all of those conferences have, have shut it down there's going to be some individual teams trying to play a couple games on their own but that's it. That's all they can control. So when Mark Emmert, who, you know, a lot, he is a punching bag in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. But when he says that like, they don't control football, big major college football, he is correct because he could, I mean, he could come out and say, I don't think you guys should play. Um, his medical expert, Dr. Brian Hainline, the chief medical officer for the NCAA, basically said that this weekend he said like if testing is where it is right now it, like it's not safe to play fall sports um he he basically said that the sec acc and big 12 are like hoping for some you know major medical advance um to be able to play and that's why they haven't shut it down yet like he's been pretty clear um and other doctors have been pretty clear but it's not like the ncaa has come out and tried to publicly pressure the power five into not playing right but that's kind of all they could really do like they, they just they can't shut it down for them and it's confusing to a lot of people because if you have a governing body shouldn't they be able to do that i i get that um but weirdly enough like this is actually how this was gonna always happen it was going to have to come down to each individual conference to make a decision well, let's go to Big Ten country where I'm sure today, I mean, as we both sit here, I'm sure your brain is in as much, if not more of a pretzel than than mine is. I think the most frustrating thing for everyone has been, like we said before, uh, the decision to cancel, the, the timeline and how everything went, went down. It was like five days between a schedule and the plug being pulled on everything. So now that it's sort of unclear, I mean, with the news today, it's unclear if presidents actually voted who voted for what there's talk of a potential spring season that that wasn't even brought up to people until maybe last week sometimes. So I know there's a ton of misinformation out there. Can you kind of take us through what has changed between the schedule release and the decision time? Because it's been a PR disaster from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I think um, the communication, the messaging, those have been really the main problems with all of this, um, because I think people understand, like, the decision itself, right? I mean, like, sure. we're in the middle of a pandemic. There are outbreaks in a lot of places. Um, there's pressure on healthcare systems, right? But I, I think it is what you're saying, this, the, the lack of communication about what changed, or even, I, I think Kevin Warren, the new Big Ten commissioner, I think he tried really hard when they put the schedule out to be as clear as possible that he was ready and willing to shut it down when their medical advisors 
told them it wasn't safe to move forward. Like he did say that many times in my conversations with him, he said that publicly when they put the schedule out. Um, and I think that there were always going to be certain steps. Like you, you do go through the process of building a schedule in case you're able to play. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think like there's a difference between him saying those things and mentally viewing it as like day to day and evaluating the information you get and communicating that publicly to everyone else who sees a schedule and is like, okay, so like there's some optimism, there's some momentum for a fall season. And you're, you're explaining how there's so much flexibility and you could push back the start. So I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from is building a schedule, coming up with medical protocols, and then not trying them out at all, like not using the flexibility in the schedule. Um, but ultimately, and I thought Sandy Barber, Penn State AD, she said a lot of interesting things on her Zoom on Monday, but one that I think was true is it was a combination of all the things that always concerned them that ultimately made this decision, right? When you're talking about testing capabilities, turnaround times, consistency across the board, high impact sports being, you know, this was still going to be a sport where you have people breathing and sweating on top of each other for extended periods of time and practices that would require large groups of people in close proximity, blocking and tackling. So like all of those things were always going to be there. There just becomes a point where like, even if like, like for, for me and you, if we decided we were planning this, you know, let's say a thousand people were going to be involved in an activity and it was supposed to take place, you know, three months from now, even if we're not sure we're going to be able to do it, we're still going to end up getting further down a planning process before we eventually, like, so we say we tried, right? Like we're going to, yeah. And so it's almost like that type of question where, okay, if, if you kind of were leaning this way, could you have done it earlier? Or do you, do, should you give it longer, right? Like, should you push back the start of the season, give it a few more weeks? I mean, we've already seen the return to campus stuff. It's already blowing up at the schools that have only been back in class for one week. North Carolina already went online only after one week. So right. there's going to be more data points. Like those are the things that the leagues that are waiting to start we're waiting to see, like, how was the regular students return to campus? Well, these schools are kind of saying that they didn't even need to get to that point. They didn't need that data point. But I understand it's jarring. It's frustrating. The messaging has been really bad. Um, it was clearly not as coordinated and unanimous and all on the same page as the Pac-12 decision. They did not put out a medical report like the Pac-12 did. Larry Scott answered questions alongside a medical expert, alongside a university president. Like the rollout was just a lot better in the Pac-12. So I absolutely understand the frustration, but I do think like ultimately it's grounded in a lot of very important things, including obviously long-term health issues like heart issues that are really serious, right? But because the messaging and communication have been so messy, it has kind of underscored the whole point about this, that it was for a health and safety reason. Yeah. And at this point, given what's going on in the country, you, there's really not much of a difference between what they did last week and what things will look like three weeks from now. So um, again, I think a lot of the, a lot of it is probably an emotional blowback, but you know, for the case of a school like Michigan, you know, they laid out the protocols they had in place for testing. The data was shared every week. Uh, but Michigan is Michigan. They can't do what maybe Rutgers can do and things like that. And I think a concern that I've seen some fans have because Michigan was so, you know, forthright with what they were doing and, you know, Jim Harbaugh being the guy that he is, I think I've seen some fans voice concerns that maybe there might be some kind of rift that might create a rift between, you know, like a Mark Schlissel and a Jim Harbaugh. Do you see things like that as a valid concern across the big 10? 
just the way that the coaches have reacted to things. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, and again, I understand it. And, you know, I, I've talked to a number of ADs privately and publicly during the last week and, you know, ask them, how do you move forward? Right. Like there's, there's fracturing here. There are people who are not on the same page and they were really upset coaches and they understand. And, and I think everyone understands that everyone's put a lot into this. I think the players and the coaches in particular have been following protocols to the best of their ability for two months now, hoping that they could get a season. So they didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like the, like that's, what's hard to take. And I think like understanding that that decision was going to be made above them anyway, no matter what protocols they followed, because you're talking about other students on campus, you're talking about outbreaks in the community and test turnaround times, like things that you as a college athlete can't control anyway. Um, that doesn't make it easier to handle. But I think that like administrators understand the coaches are on the ground level. They're dealing with the frustrated players. They're frustrated. They've been trying to make this work. They were cooped up for three months at home in quarantine, tr you know, trying to do what they can to be in a position to play this fall, everything. Right. So I think like everyone understands the emotions. I, I, I think there were different ways that coaches went about it um, that were different. Like I think Scott Frost's public behavior was very different than Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day. Um, but I do think one of my first thoughts was when some of the coaches were saying the things that they were was I'd love to be a fly on the wall the next time they meet with the president. Right. Because, yeah. you know, I, I get where both sides are coming from and the president is responsible for what happens on that campus. Right. Like you don't want to put, you don't want to operate in position where like you're wondering what it would take to shut it down. And like, you don't want to put an athlete or an assistant coach or someone getting hospitalized for something really severe. Like you don't want that to be the breaking point. You don't want to get to, get to that point. Right. And if you're a university president, you're thinking that way, right? You're thinking like for the, for, you know, what's under your watch, what am I comfortable with? What am I responsible for? Um, in a way in this situation with an unknown new virus that I think is, is different and it's hard to put yourself in that person's shoes. Um, and so even if, you know, the football program, you're saying like, we can be kind of in a bubble, we can follow rules, all these things. It's just a different type of decision, a different calculus. So I would love to be a fly on the wall the next time they meet, cause it's going to happen in multiple campuses. Yeah. Even the coaches who have said that they understood and are being, you know, be staying on message, being team players, I'm sure they have some questions for their presidents. Um, but again, I think, and I think some of these conversations will shift, you know, if the SEC, ACC and Big 12 eventually postpone fall as well, right? Like then the anger abates because everyone had to make the same decision eventually if that happens. Yeah. And these petitions and letters from parents are kind of all the rage right now. And, and for me, I still feel like it's more likely that nobody's playing college football this fall than just the Big 10 or the Pac-12 being left out. So just to be clear for again people who are listening that might say oh you know the players are there might be a movement here to get this reversed that's not happening right like that's 100 percent. i mean happening. yeah i mean i i think like it's let, let's just go with again sandy barber just talked to the media so like fresh and fresh in my mind she said i don't see that happening right that that they would reconsider the decision yeah. um and listen i get that players are frustrated. I get that their parents are mad and like, they feel like this is something they can do for their, their kids. So the reasons that the big 10 made the decision are not going to change. Um, I think everyone made the decisions under the assumptions that the players did want to play and that they were going to follow the health and safety protocols. So them saying that doesn't necessarily change that. I, I just think, you know, you're still not going to know what, COVID can do to an otherwise healthy body 
Right. You know, you, you still aren't going to be able to predict that or know or, or know what potential long term health issues there are three weeks from now. Right. So um, I, I understand the frustration. I understand people saying they would have preferred a delay to just see if things got better, see if testing could get better, if outbreaks got under control. But ultimately, again, some of the health risks, you're just you're still not going to know. It's still going to be an unknown. You're still not going to be able to guarantee anything for anyone who'd be participating. Um, and so, no, I, I agree with Sandy Barber. I don't see that happening. I mean, I get why people are doing it. It makes them feel like they're doing something. But I, I think the the better use of time is figuring out what a spring season could look like. And, you know, all the other things that there's a million other questions, like, are we going to get March Madness? Is that going to be on time? Like there's so many other things that are going to need to be worked on next. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. So for now, these other the ACC, SEC, Big Twelve, it's they want to give this a shot. And again, things can change. Um, no, Michigan, Michigan, and Ohio State are going to leave the conference. I know there are anonymous Twitter accounts throwing all that crap all, all over the place too. But you know, given videos of what we've seen over the weekend from students returning to campus all over the country, I mean, again, I'm still entirely skeptical of all of it, but. Where do we stand? Is everything still full go with these other conferences? Well, we're recording this on Monday afternoon because this stuff can change really quickly. Um, And North Carolina already having to go online only and what that would mean for keeping football players, you know, on campus, um, justifying that. It's obviously an optics thing, but then you would also have the element of like, this is a model that has been challenged in court and they're supposed to be student athletes, like regular students. And if the regular students aren't on campus because it's not safe enough, then you're making an exception because right. these are the ones that bring in money, right? So, so I'm curious to see the fallout from that. Um, Notre Dame also has an outbreak already that they're dealing with, with their in-person classes. Some of the big 12 schools are bringing back students this week. So there's going to be a lot more information that could change or expedite decisions in some of these leagues. Um, but as of right now, I mean, we just went through, you know, 
four or five days or six days of the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 remaining committed to playing a fall season. Big 12 put out their schedule. You know, like they are taking those steps. Um, you know, SEC teams open fall camp on Monday. So they're, they're taking steps towards a fall season. Um, but I think everyone's been very clear throughout every time anyone's talked to anyone about that it is all tentative, that it's hopeful. But, you know, again, these decisions could be made for them, essentially. I mean, if you have outbreaks on campuses and you can't move forward because of that or, you know, the local healthcare systems overwhelmed and you can't get test results back in a reasonable time, like th those decisions could be made for you. Right. It's not, it hasn't been, I think some people think that it's been, Oh, yeehaw, we're going to play football and forget what the Yankees to the North are doing or whatever. So yes. Right. And, and I think that that's again, even when <laughs> like, even when the PAC 12 put out their schedule five days before the big 10, they both like the commissioners in both cases, it was like the most sad unveiling of a conference schedule I've ever seen. Right. Like they were yeah. all like, if we can play, this is what it will look like. Like it was very serious. And I think that that's also a little bit lost. I understand that there's excitement about those releases, but like they did clarify, like they're speaking the way that the, the schools and leagues that are moving forward right now are still speaking, right. That it's, hopeful you're hopeful you can play the games as scheduled you're making adjustments but you're adding flexibility but you don't know and and you might not be able to get to it and so um you know we'll see i mean the stuff is changing really really quickly um and you know again everyone's they're trying to be hopeful they're trying to move forward um feel comfortable in their testing and their levels their capabilities communication all these things but that can change very quickly as we saw last week yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Matt Brown was on the show. We were talking all the business side of all of this stuff. And when we brought up the topic of spring football, it was, he, he kind of said that he thought it would be dependent on if they thought there could be fans in the stands or not. So I'll extend that question to you. Do you think that spring football is even feasible right now? Well, I, I don't, I, I think there's a way to do it. Yes. Um, but I also think that it would be silly to throw in the towel on it right now. Um, I think that a, to have something to work towards, I think is important for these athletes that are staying on campus. Um, and you know, have just gotten something major taken away from them. I think also the opportunity to potentially have people in stands and, and recoup some ticket revenue, have games that would be broadcast, bring in some other revenue that you, you've just lost and from a media rights standpoint um, would be important, would be worth it. And I think that, you know, there's been different models floated around. The SWAC actually put out a model on Monday of how theirs is going to look. Um, so there are going to be people who are doing it. And I think there's ways to do it where it's not too much more grueling than a normal, you know, you know, heavy, spring practice, right. And then right. instead of practices, you know, with a lot of contact and, and trying to, adjust it that way. Maybe you adjust the fall 2021 as well, right? Maybe you start that a little later, but I just think, I know why people were so dismissive of it working at all, but I also think that right now it's August. And if you get to the point of having like point of care testing, rapid results, um, you know, maybe a vaccine, maybe you can have fans, like there's so many potential possibilities that I think people are going to need to hope for um, and, and try to see if it'll work. I, I just don't think anyone would say, okay, no, I'm just gonna throw my hands up. It's not gonna work. We're just not even gonna worry about it. You did have a couple of, a couple of leagues, a couple of schools did, did say that UConn's like not even engaging. They're not doing spring. 
But everyone else, I think like it's important to have some of that hope. It's important to potentially provide games and competition and also bring in some of that money that you're losing by not having it in the fall. So um, those to me are, are big enough reasons to, to continue brainstorming models and, and looking at different things about how to see if it can work. So with all that being said, is there a spring football pitch that you've seen or that you've heard about that, at least in your opinion, you think might make the most sense for all this? Um, I've heard a couple different ones. Um, I think that there are some where you see them start a little bit later than others. Um, the SWAC model starts at the end of February. Um, I think that, you know, it's probably, you know, I mean, we're familiar with Michigan winters, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you probably don't want to start in January, um, you know, but maybe you ramp up some practices. I, I think the key to me is, is figuring out the number of games and then kind of working backwards from there, because I, I don't, I can't anticipate that anyone will play more than like eight. Um, but you know, if, if you say like it's six or eight and then you build in a couple of bye weeks and, and have some flexibility, like, I think that's doable. And, and I think that that, that is enough of a season, right? Cause I think that's part of the question too. Like what is going to feel real enough to count as a season, um, which also, you know, by Friday, we're going to get some answers about NCAA eligibility. So it's possible that everyone, no matter what happens in the spring, retains their eligibility for the year, which I think also would help, right? As you're trying to figure out like, you know, what's doable in the spring, how much do you want to, you know, risk injury or whatever it might be to, to know that you're not going to lose a year of eligibility. If you participate in a couple of games or something like that, I think that helps too. But to me, it's, it's about figuring out the, the length of the season and then when you'd want to end it, which I would assume by early May would probably want to be when you would end it just a couple weeks past spring games um, to stay on that kind of timeline. So then I think you do back it up and, and you are looking at, at some point in March. And um, so that's how I would approach it. But again, I think, um, you know, we'll see, you know, because I, I could see different conferences proposing wildly different models and different timeframes, particularly depending on where you live. Obviously, I think that would be part of it. Um, but, you know, maybe someone does say, hey, we just came up with a 10 game conference schedule that we really like. Like, let's just try to do that in the spring. Right. And just copy and paste. So sure. um, I'd also be interested to see how it shook out. But if you did, you know, if you, you could make a Big Ten model that took all divisional games, added one crossover game, something like that. And, and that's where you start from, right? There, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, but I would anticipate if, if it were me, I would want to start late February at the earliest um, and probably in March. Well, you kind of just hit on it with some of the decisions that'll be coming down the pipe later this week in terms of eligibility, roster makeup, uh, whether there's football played before the fall of 2021 or not. So, what are you hearing? What's on the table right now in terms of how some of those things might, you know, are we looking at expanded rosters? Are we looking at going from, you know, 85 to 100? What are some of the things that, that we might be talking about this time next week? Yeah, I think, I think we will have some answers. Um, certainly in terms of eligibility, um, you know, again, I mean, we're talking about big 10 athletes. They all saved their eligibility um, already, but you know, what happens if, you know, the SEC is able to get in six games, do they, keep their eligibility does that count as a full season um, right now there's a proposal that the d1 council is recommending which is 
that if you do play 50% or less of the maximum allowable games for your sport, you would keep your eligibility. So it's kind of extending the red shirt rule a little bit. Like, so for football, that would be six games because you would normally play 12. Um, and they would be saying like, if you play six games or five games, like that doesn't count as a full season. We don't want to take your eligibility. Um, so it's either going to be probably that or just a blanket. Like everyone, every fall athlete, if you play fall or spring, doesn't count. You're just keeping your eligibility. So then I think also, you know, when you talk about financial aid and, and scholarships, something that came up in the spring, this was a big point of contention this spring when those sports were canceled. And what they decided then was to guarantee the scholarship, give the extra year of eligibility back, but then say to the schools, it's up to you to determine how much aid you want to offer that athlete. Like we're allowing them the eligibility, but you have, you, you don't have to match what you gave them last year, but it's up to you for that, for you and that individual athlete. So it's possible that that is the model that gets taken again for the fall. Um, and then I think, like you mentioned, roster size is going to have to be adjusted. I, I think the, the, you know, coaches and ADs are anticipating, you know, that it would be above 85 for next year. Cause you don't want to take away the opportunities from the incoming freshmen, you know, that would, because you want to do right by your seniors. You also want to do right by the incoming freshmen. Neither it's neither of their faults for what is happening. So I think what you do is maybe it's a one year adjustment with that, where there's, I don't know if you cap it or you just say there's no limit. Um, maybe it's the exact amount of seniors you had and that's how much you push up your roster size by whatever it might be. And I think in two years, you can go back to 85 because at that point you can make a determination with someone, right? You say, okay, you know, this is someone you're going to have a hard conversation. We don't have a scholarship spot for you um, two years from now, but for, for next year, I think, I think you see that adjustment. Again, I don't know if you see it for like a number of years, um, but it's going to be stuff like that. We're going to have answers by Friday. And I think some of that makes it easier from an athlete headspace point, right? Where you're like, okay, there's been so much uncertainty, but at least I would know I can get my, keep my eligibility. I can play here next year. Like all of those, those major pieces. Um, so that's really, I think where we're headed, but again, we could see a lot of different determinations with what they decide to do with the roster size. They did adjust the baseball roster this year, which is the one spring sport that they needed to look at that. Um, and it was a one year adjustment. So, you know, we can take what we, we saw in the spring and, and see how it would apply to fall. It would obviously be a lot more expensive and a lot yeah. more athletes affected with fall sports. Um, but we should be getting some answers by Friday. And I think that that will help. We also might get some clarity about transfers. I know people are thinking like our big 10 players going to immediately transfer the sec. Would they be eligible? It's possible. We'll also get some clarity about that um, as well. So, so we'll see. I mean, again, there's, there's only so much you can do kind of from a bureaucratic side and like the NCAA rules side, but these are important things that need to be determined before like any sort of fall season would start. So I am, uh, I am hopeful that, we will get clarity on the outside as we look to try to figure out how this is going to play out, but more so for the athletes, just so that they know what's going on, even just a little bit. If, if there's a little bit of clarity, I think that's good for them. So to bring the conversation kind of full circle, then that would be, those decisions would be handled by the NCAA, correct? Yeah. So um, without getting too in the weeds, there's a couple different governing groups that kind of determine these things. The NCAA board of governors oversees all the divisions. Um, NCAA board of directors is division one. And then the division one council is only division one. So they're meeting Wednesday to discuss things, have official recommendations. Board of directors oversees division one is the one who actually like 
puts us together and the board of governors is the one who told everyone to do this so it's okay. confusing but yes these are all <laughs> coming through ncaa rules and waivers and, and that type of process Okay, well, though that is all for the questions I have today. Like I said, I know things are moving quickly and, and can change, but where can you know our readers, our listeners, your readers find you and, and what you're working on this week? Any anything in particular? Um, I'm just again tracking on all these waivers, and you know if anything else pops up out of uh, any of the leagues that are continuing to play. Uh, but yeah, you can find my work and my colleagues at the Athletic, and um, I'm on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. And yeah, we'll see if I sleep this week. <laughs> we hope so. Maybe a little bit of clarity. <laughs> I, do. I but, hope uh, so. All right. Well, like she said, uh, you can follow Nicole uh, at The Athletic and on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. You can follow myself on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website at Maze and Brew. You can get the podcast wherever you get your shows. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. You guys know that by now. Subscribe, leave us a review, give us feedback, all that good stuff. Uh, thanks for listening today. And we'll talk to you guys next time.